very first episode of the Velo Chumps podcast. I'm Eric Poli, and I will be your host today. This is a podcast about bikes made by regular people who ride bikes. We, Velo Chumps, talk about bikes, the bike industry, bike culture, even bike racing. But we're not industry insiders. We have some fun things to talk about today. Mostly some notable items that have recently gone on sale. And at the end, we have a not-to-be-missed cycling factoid. But first, we should introduce ourselves, both individually and as a group. You might ask yourself, what is a VeloChump? So, exactly what it sounds like, just some chumps who ride bikes. We're not in the industry. We're not journalists. We're not pro riders. We don't have anything to do with anything that would make us money doing bikes. In fact, we just spend money riding bikes. <laughs> and yeah. what that qualifies us for is all these bike brands that are trying to sell stuff, they're trying to sell it to us because we were just discussing this this morning, right, Mike? We're in the upper echelon of Strava users in terms of mileage and volume and, and time. We're some pretty serious riders and that makes us specialists in, in buying bike stuff. Two, two percenters, so, man. Yeah, man. So, Mike, you uh, you started talking there, so I'll introduce you. This is Mike Green. Mike Green is the normal bike rider of our group for sure. He is definitely a serious bike rider, but for the rest, you know, compared to the rest of us, very normal. So that's that's my think, intro for Mike. I think I would call myself the everyman of the group. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm most willing to go to the bike shop and most willing to pay for. Uh, <laughs> Bleeding of brakes and uh, cable swaps. Awesome. So next up, we got Ryan. Ryan is the youngster of the group. He's the, the guy who likes to think he's not young, but he really is. Case in point, in our local, our little internal chat, we were talking about what we were doing when we were kids because we didn't have the internet to go on. And we were like, yeah, we all sit around and look at the Guinness Book of World Records. And Ryan says... Yeah, that or the book of Tell Me Everything Why or something. I don't even know what it's called. What What is it called, Ryan? It's called the book of Tell Me Why. Yeah, the book yeah. of Tell Me Why. None of us have ever heard of this. So if any of you out there have heard of this, you could talk. Tell us what the heck this thing is because the rest of us, we don't know because we're all older than Ryan. So, Ryan, you can introduce yourself now. Um, my name's Ryan. Uh, apparently, I'm being reprimanded for being younger than these guys. Not reprimanded. Day. You just are. It's just a fact. <laughs> Um, I don't think Mike Green is giving himself enough credit as being the everyman writer. He has kind of the local legend of our local town here. Mm -hmm. all, the, all the high school kids know his legend status. I would go with Fantastic. that. <laughs> and uh, next up, we got Chad. Chad has no business knowing as much as he does about bikes for someone who has no connection to the industry at all. And that is what Chad brings to the table. Chad probably knows more about bikes than most industry people, even though, like I said, he has no business knowing it. It, it probably helps that I'm not in the industry, so I've bought most of these bikes. That's <laughs> usually where, the, where it's come from. If I rode bikes as well as I purchased them, then I'd, I'd have a leg up on green there, but that's not the case. Well, if you rode bikes as well as you purchased them, you'd be in the world tour and you wouldn't know anything about bikes because your mechanics would be taking care of it for you. Oh, that'd be nice. Yeah. I, I would like to point out that Chad is a, a legit metallurgist. So 
<laughs> when he uh, when he starts talking about chrome Ollie and stainless steel 304 and maybe even carbon, we have to take his word for it. Even if we disagree, yep. in the end, he's probably right. Probably. Or or just in general about bikes, he's probably right. But well, but what you'll find on this podcast is we disagree with Chad a lot. And even if he's right, it's fun to disagree with them. So we'll, we'll get to that, I'm sure, in, in either this episode or future episodes for sure. Um, but we have one last Velo chump that couldn't make it tonight, Randy. Randy is definitely, without question, the most normal and very nicest by far of the Velo chumps. And what I chalk that up to is Randy is a yet completely unreformed triathlete. That's what I chalk that <laughs> up to. He probably runs in a given week more than the rest of us run in a given year. So he hasn't fully got on board with the bike culture, but he will. It's just taking longer. And because of that, he has not fallen into this bike culture, and that leaves him to be absolutely the nicest person. If we need anything to actually like build a relationship, he's the one of our group that has to do it. I guess you would all agree, right? Despite not being a fully committed cyclist, though, he <clears throat> currently has like seven of the same bike. So it's true. That is true. <laughs> well, <laughs> he does have a lot of bikes. Let's, you know, <laughs> I feel that he's so nice that he could tolerate a stem that's off center for thousands of <laughs> oh, miles on a bike. Absolutely. That is 100% true. If one of us gave him a bike with a stem off center, he would just ride it. He would not come to us and say, you idiot, you put my stem on off or crooked, right? I mean, right, right. he might come up and say, hey, you know, I was thinking, do you think the stem might be a little bit off center? Because it seems maybe a little off. If, if you don't think it is, it's fine. I mean, super nice guy. Too bad he's not on the show. We'll we'll have him on in future episodes. I mean yep. that that just shows how normal he is. He's decided to spend time on a weekend with his yeah, doing something else. <laughs> That's a hundred percent true. The rest of us are obviously weirdos, and uh, he just hasn't got to that level yet. So yeah. But like I said, he'll get there. So, gents, we've been talking about this for a while. We finally decided to do it. Should we get started and talk about some things? bike related yeah let's do it yes so actually the way i'm going to kick this off my first question is going to be for mike green but before i ask you the question mike i'm going to set this up all of us here we all have a gravel bike right yep yep you have a gravel bike right ryan chad yes no, the audience can't see you so you have to you have to say yes um but the other thing is we don't just have a gravel bike for, you know, commuting on the road in our local neighborhood and, you know, going to the um, ice cream shop or something. I mean, all of us last year, we did a pretty epic gravel ride together, right? I mean, we're, we're doing like legit gravel riding, not, not, not in that stuff's not even champagne gravel, right? You would agree with that, right? Soft. Yeah. It's, it's like the Lake Michigan sand version of gravel where you step in it and it, goes four inches deep sometimes depending on where we're at here yeah or remember that maybe, one i was gonna say should we maybe because like so we're in a suburb of chicago yeah and i think most people would think there's no gravel around here but i actually grew up in like a small farm town and there is much more legit dangerous chunky mm -hmm. soft 
gravel up here than there is in the farm town I grew up in. Oh, so, yeah. like, I think when it gives people context to say that, like, we're in, like, a major metropolitan area, but there's some pretty legit gravel out here. And, and Chad, you actually rode your bike in, your gravel bike in Kansas before. How would you compare our gravel to Kansas gravel? Yeah, so, so to set that up, I no longer live in the suburbs <laughs> of Chicago, where the gravel is actually quite wonderful. Um, it, it's, it's maybe less coarse. It doesn't have the flint uh, that Kansas mm-hmm. has, but I would say in that area around M. Peoria, you know, where, where Unbound is, the new Lennox gravel where you guys live is not too far off in terms of like topography and the chunk of the mm-hmm. gravel, let's say. You just don't have the harsh flint to really cut the tires, but that's not to say that the gravel in that area doesn't do a number on your tires. Mm-hmm. In contrast, where I live now, which is in Northeast Ohio, um, I have to go to Central Ohio or maybe Southwest Ohio to find what I would call true kind of gravelly type roads. And in those cases, there's far less uh, rocks, far less gravel, much more like a logging road in some cases. So it varies, but much more, much more hilly, much more topography in this area too. Mm-hmm. And and I would I would argue I don't have a gravel bike because yeah, that term you have a cross bike. But we'll we'll get to that later. <laughs> exactly, that's a future episode. Ryan has a cross bike too, but in any case. When we did this epic gravel ride in the driftless area of Illinois, it was quite a bit of elevation and, you know, quite a bit of um, gravel climbs and some scary gravel descents, if you guys remember. Anyway, my point is we ride some legitimate gravel. Remember, Mike, that one time we went up and we had the baseball size gravel we had to ride through at the end of the, the, oh, end yeah. of the ride there? Yeah, I mean, it was like this is oh. anyway, this is the point is we can ride some legit gravel, right? For people that don't know, should we explain what driftless means? I don't think so. That's that's very esoteric. But in any case, the short version is drifts are another word for glaciers. And that's a part of Illinois that did not get flattened by glaciers in the Ice Age. So it's not just pan flat like the rest of the state. It actually has hills. Good enough? It has yep. to have notoriety. Trek is selling a bike. Yes. It's a yeah. bike. So come exactly, on. Exactly. Exactly. With a dropper. Yeah. But... I want to get to my question, Mike, that I have for you. Because, again, right. you're, you're the normal guy here. So, when you've been out riding your gravel bike, have you ever thought to yourself, you know, I'm riding down this gravel road. The sun is out. It's bright. I have sunglasses on. And they're doing a good job of keeping the sun out of my eyes. But when I look down at the gravel and I'm looking at the terrain that I'm riding over, I wish I someone going. <laughs> I wish someone would develop gravel specific sunglasses. Have you ever had that thought, Mike? I have not. Really? You know, I'm surprised because because Shimano just last week announced their Ridescape for gravel off-road sunglasses. I'm looking at the website right now, and this is how they describe them. The ultimate combination of optics and aesthetics for high-speed riding. Each lens reflects and enhances a targeted spectrum of colors unique to its intended riding environment to boost the contrast of scene-specific objects like gravel, glare, and soil. Doesn't that sound fantastic? You know, when I when I saw those come out, 
my initial thought was going through my head about all the different uh, ski goggles, as well as some of the, the marketing for the Oakley sunglasses, and one of them being the Trail Prism, which if you read about any of the reviews about are widely uh, accepted as one of the best sunglasses for going in and out of shade and seeing the contrast in the, the trails. But in the same respect, it's it's just a different tint or whether or not a sunglass is good at contrast and, and from what I would understand. So that's what I'm trying to understand is why, what makes these Shimano's better than a, a quality Oakley or, or any brand that has a really good contrast sunglass? Well, the first thing is they're called gravel sunglasses. <laughs> Which, by the way, how would you spell Oakley with no vowels? It'd be tough. <laughs> definitely be tough. That was a good question, Ryan. Cool. Yeah, it'd be bad. So, so Chad, are you going to run out and buy these gravel sunglasses? No. No. <laughs> no, no. No, absolutely not. It's, if anything, it's going to make me not buy them. Even if I like them, because they're calling them gravel sunglasses, I will now just avoid them out of spite, to be truthful. And and quickly, one other thing we need to also establish about Chad early on in our the existence of this podcast is that Chad is very, you know, friendly towards Shimano when it comes to shifting. I love Shimano. As am I. We'll we'll say that. But I mean, this is this is coming from Chad, who is very much a Shimano fan, but not not into these Shimano glasses, huh? I kind of wish the money and the marketing budget and the R&D that went into the sunglasses would have gone into finishing making GRX a complete group set rather than <laughs> just part of a group set you tack on your bike to go do gravel riding. Yeah. Maybe they could have made gravel-specific tires, which I would argue is the one thing you actually kind of need for gravel riding as opposed to dedicated sunglasses. Glasses. Yeah. How about Chad, you, Ryan? You, Ryan. Well, I was just going to ask, like, so... I wear my glasses almost 97% of the time. I do have contacts, but I don't hardly ever wear them. The, mm -hmm. So, you know, Chad doesn't live by us. So the one time I did ride with you, you had contacts and sunglasses on. Do you usually ride with sunglasses or do you usually ride with your glasses? So my eyesight isn't bad enough. I only need these eyeglasses when I'm actually doing real work or something like that. <laughs> so when I'm on a bike, I don't, I'm, I'm, there are no contacts in. I'm just wearing whatever sunglasses I have, whether they be Oakley or whatever I have. I think I've got that brings a whole new perspective to the 10,000 ride. Cause I was scared and I could see what was happening. There's well, your... maybe that's the problem. He couldn't see it. So it was <laughs> made it much more palatable. <laughs> well, so I'm not buying them. And that's because I, my eyes are super dry and I wear my glasses almost all the time. And I have some prescription sunglasses. So I usually wear those. And if it's going to be like a morning in the dark ride or ending at night, I'll actually bring, my eyeglasses and then my prescription sunglasses to switch. Okay. So basically what we're all saying here is that though we all have gravel bikes and we ride gravel, none of us are looking to buy these Shimano gravel sunglasses. Absolutely not. <clears throat> I think there's gotta be better offerings out there from legitimate companies that just have different shades of tint, whether or not they're polarized and something like that. That yeah, trail tint I, that Oakley I do offers. think the to Mike's point earlier about the trail prism stuff mm -hmm. like if you've ever skied like the tint of your lens is will make or break your day so I don't think like legit glasses with different interchangeable lenses is to be minimized 
but I don't think there's anything like it doesn't need to be GRVL specific. Mm -hmm. So, so my question is why is Shimano or any other bike brand coming out with gravel specific things that absolutely don't need to be gravel specific? Because again, as consumers of the, these products, all of us are pretty much saying that this is stupid. Anyone have any ideas on that? Well, I, th I think it goes back to the tipping point, right? Initially, I would say living in the Chicago area, we, what, probably for a decade ago or more, we were, we were riding these roads, right? But we weren't calling it gravel, I don't even think at the time. It was just like, okay, we're going to go do this crazy road ride or this any road ride, right? And we did it on cross bikes and we did it on mountain bikes because that's all we had. It didn't really matter. It was just like, these are cool roads and we're going to go ride them. Now they've got this gravel thing and I run into people who don't even live near the stuff. Right. And they want to buy a gravel bike to go somewhere to ride gravel. I'm like that. You missed the point. Right. We were just riding these roads because they were there. Mm -hmm. We we didn't need specific stuff for it. We just took the stuff we had around the house. It wasn't about let's go spend money to go do something yet new. And I don't know. That's so I think that's a good point, Chad. Are you trying to say are you suggesting even that the bike industry capitalized on people like you that were riding on these kind of roads created a new market to try to sell it to people that don't really need it. I, I, I would argue if you don't live anywhere near a dirt road, why, <laughs> where are you buying a gravel bike? I mean, unless you want to ride it on a towpath, I guess you could. Something again, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the bikes themselves. They're fine, but I don't know. It's, a, it's kind of amazing to watch how these gravel races have sort of taken off and become their own, their own entity and their own thing. And everybody wants to get in on it. And I'm like, just ride what's out your back door, right? If it's mountain bike trails, ride mountain bike. If it's road, ride road. You don't, I don't think you need to buy a specific bike just because there's an ad for it in the middle of whatever magazine you're reading today. I think it's becoming uh, today's marathon of what the marathons were 10 years ago or today's it's the triathlon, the Ironmans, the half Ironmans. It, more and more people are going to do this especially as they leave the triathlon world or whatever running world. I, I feel like they're, it's going to turn into the destination race to go to Colorado to do the steamboat race, to go out to California, go to wherever, North Carolina or South Carolina and do the, the, the Belgian waffle rides down there. I think it's going to be turning into these people that are wrapping six months of training around it as opposed to riders that dedicate a few weeks of a training time to, to do a big ride. It's going to be these people out of buying the bikes for it. Which is exactly what, in a different genre of cycling, exactly what Mike and I are doing in August. But um, what was that article? There was something we talked about recently about, um, it was a GCN thing about most people are buying a bike not fit for purpose. Did I say that right? Is that sure. The, um, so like <clears throat> to play devil's advocate here, I do think for the longest time people were walking into a local bike shop and being coerced to buy a bike that wasn't the right bike for them. And so like, just for example, a guy that I work with lives downtown by like Wrigleyville every day he can, he gets off work and goes rides like the Lakeshore path and in the year and a half that I've known him, he's fallen on his bike four times. Two of the times where his road tires got caught in like a crack, like trying to get on and off the sidewalk. 
or whatever of the cycling path because you're always dodging dog walkers or kids on bikes or people pushing strollers or whatever. And so I was like, I said to him like a year ago, like you should consider getting a gravel bike. Like it'll be more comfortable for you. You can low it, run it at lower PSI or like tire pressure. And you're less likely to get, you know, like I think you're less likely to get injured and it's a little bit of a safer geometry for an older guy that's just riding his bike recreationally. So like at the same time, I feel like maybe the gravel bike is the right bike for some people as opposed to like walking to into a shop and getting coerced to buy like a race bike on the floor that they have sitting there. Madonna RSL. For sure. But, but now I'm going to ask Chad, who's the, uh, not only the bike expert for when it comes to just things about bikes, he's also the historian. What did people write, ride, but Chad, when they wanted to have a more relaxed fit or a more, you know, easygoing bike before gravel bikes came around. I mean, isn't that what your mountain bike was for, right? Isn't that why you had a flat bar bike that you sat <laughs> upright on, right? It's what it's honestly what I used to commute to work on, right? Mm-hmm. I could sit upright. I could wear a backpack. I could put a headlight on. Like it was fine. I didn't need a gravel bike or a cyclocross bike or a specific commuter bike, right? It was the, here's the bike I have. It's comfy. I'm going to go ahead and ride this. Then when I want to go ride the group <clears throat> ride, we get out the road bike. That was that. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, don't... funny enough, I, we all said we have gravel bikes. We all ride gravel bikes. So it's not that we're against gravel bikes. We actually, Mike, were, and I think Ryan even, we were uh, trying to push KB into buying a gravel bike this morning. So it's not that we're against gravel bikes. It's just funny that we're getting things like the gravel-specific glasses or the thing that you sent us, Chad, the gravel socks for the bar ends. <laughs> Just, Tell us about these things. I have no idea. Like, I love most everything Richie. I thought I liked a lot of their products, but this was very esoteric. This was like a neoprene sock that goes over your bar tape on the drop bar portion of your cross bike, your gravel bike, for being in the drops on gravel. And never once have I done a gravel descent where I was like, man, if only I had a cushy neoprene sock over my bar tape, I'd be so happy right now. <laughs> I must have missed well, this. I did not. I don't know what you guys look, are talking about. Look, look. It, the uh, it's really not a horrible concept. And what it is, it doesn't go over the tape. You would no. I think pull it on. I think uh, I, I think you pull it onto the bottom and then you start your tape from there approximately. I think but, I read it. I think I think you wrap your bars and I think you put this over the bar tape. Like I don't know if you leave it on all the time or just when you ride well, the ground. Well, well, actually, I, do you, do you want to hear the Richie copy about this stuff? This thing, Chad. This is fantastic. This is fantastic. Made specifically for drop bar bike lovers. So as an aside, not the flat bar riders, right? This is drop bar bike lovers specifically, Chad, specifically. The new gravel grips from Richie deliver heaps of cushioning support, practical comfort, and confident control for any and all of your gravel adventures. They're great for road, too. (laughs) (laughs) So... So, wait, 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 this is great. I'm going to skip a few parts because I can't read all of this. It would be ridiculous. Ready? Since Richie has so much experience in history with mountain bikes and gravel riding, we thought, why not take the same idea of those mountain bike grips, make them longer, and put them on some drop bars and go ride some gravel? This, this is on the Richie website. Chad. Two things. I'm pretty sure ESI already has these and has had these for like seven years. And second of all, like, what about just double wrapping your bar tape? 
Great idea, right? <laughs> because double wrapping but your that... bar tape uses what already came in the package of bar tape. Like they can't <laughs> sell you more bar tape, right? Oh man. <laughs> but then you run out of bar tape. But that's exactly what this I was gonna say this is, Chad, is uh the mountain bikers love the ESI or the Wolf Tooth uh foam grips. And in my opinion, they're kind of I, I wonder if they're appealing to the mountain bikers that are starting to make the transition to gravel bikes and they're going to say, oh, I've got the ESI on my mountain bike. I love these things. I'm going to get them. But yeah, in the end, it's, uh, I don't know. I'm still, I'm still slightly intrigued, Chad, and I might just get them to spite you. <laughs> I'm interested in the picture, though, because if they go over your bar tape, it doesn't look like it's any thicker in that picture than... Like it looks like there's no bar tape underneath it, right? And I was I was thinking of having, well, from a from a very novice bar wrapper's point of view, you know, you you have a nice finished end on the end cap with the uh, where that foam sleeve comes to, and uh, you can start your tape just underneath the brifter, and it's got a nice clean start and finish on it, and it. And you could probably do both handlebars with just one piece of tape. Six months later, when that bar tape wow. wears out, you only have to replace that part yeah, again. Yeah, except for you just bought some neoprene socks. So <laughs> right. you didn't save anything. <laughs> and, and, and the legit <laughs> riders are going to know you when you show up at the next uh, serious gravel race. Yeah, so, so Mike might buy these to spite uh, Chad, but in all seriousness, is it, are any of the rest of us going to go out and buy these things? No, no. So, I mean, and it, it is a little bit of a bummer that it's a uh, very marketing-related scheme mm -hmm. and taking advantage of the gravel market right now. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I think it's interesting, and you know, I'm sure we will come back to this topic many times of the bike industry trying to sell us stuff we don't need that nobody should want, or. Or even really, you know, no, nobody really should go out and buy these things, to be honest. You can you can wrap your, you know, you can get cushiony wrapping. I mean, this is not like a, ne a necessary development in drop bar, the drop bar bike world. You, you could do what we did for years. You just save some of your old bar tape and then wrap the new <laughs> tape over top. And it doesn't cost you anything and you get a double wrap tape. So Yeah, yeah, I, I, exactly, exactly. My first ever road bike, I my gravel, or my... Uh, my bar tape got ruined and I was really competitive with baseball growing up. And so it got like torn or whatever. And I took it off and I didn't have anything. And like, there was no bike shop open. It was like a Sunday or something. And so I just put like athletic tape on my bike bars and I rode that for like years, just athletic tape. <laughs> I'm sure it worked fine. It did. It was totally fine. So so speaking of things, the industry selling stuff we don't necessarily need, uh, I'm going to go to the next topic. And before I do that, I'm going to, because um, it, it relates, right? But I'm, I'm going to also mention something about our group here. When we did that epic gravel ride I was explaining about earlier, right? Chad made a comment during the ride. He says, curse you, Poli. We look like the Rafa catalog. <laughs> we did. It was sad, right? Because that's probably something the listeners should also know. We are the demographic of Rafa. Yep. Right? We are at that income level. We have those bikes. We have, we are the Rafa catalog. We're not 20, 
but we are the we, when you go to the Rafa store, nobody in the Rafa store looks like who's in the Rafa ad. It's right. Us. It's everyone who looks like us. Yep, exactly. And and let's you know to be fair, we all have we at this point while we all have quite a bit of Rafa stuff. Randy and myself were both in RCC, the Rafa Cycling Club. I mean, we're we're like legit into Rafa. We I'll admit it, right? But last week we saw that Rafa came out with a a new jacket. The men's explore Gore-Tex jacket, and uh, have you all seen this? I, you yes. know, I, I saw the ad, I saw the jacket, and I hate everything gravel, but explore. I was intrigued, and by the way, I did need like another windbreaker for like off the bike thing. So I thought, okay, mm-hmm. maybe I can yeah. two birds one stone. And then I saw the price. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, in fact, Chad. That's right up the alley of what they're saying. This is let me read the little copy about this. Men's Explore Gore-Tex jacket, fully waterproof adventure riding jacket designed for a range of outdoor activities. So exactly what you're saying. You know, you could use it for it, the, the point is, let's let me make this point. This is not a road racing jacket. This is not a high-tech super aero with turbulators and all these other, you know, technologically advanced um there's no dyneema in the fabric it's not you know going to help you if you crash this is not a racing item this is a looking at it it looks like a casual jacket it looks like a garbage bag let's just be honest right (laughs) i mean it does right okay fine it better have something in it to justify what they're asking is an msrp right what is the tech for that price it does have it does have Gore-Tex C-Knit technology for durable waterproof protection. So it does have that. All of the other key features are pretty, pretty pedestrian. Uh, innovative pocket configuration provides optimum storage. It looks like it has pockets in the front of it like any other jacket. So, you know, that's innovative. Um, I hate those flaps, whatever you call that flap on the back of it. Yeah. Um, adjustable snap-up hem provides fit adaptability for on and off bike functionality. I mean, this is not exactly um, high-tech stuff here, right? And all of us being, to some extent, Rafa aficionados riding Rafa. Mike had Rafa on a ride this morning. I did as well. Is anyone of us planning on spending $530 to buy this jacket? Well... I, this is like one of my many conspiracies of the cycling industry, right? I sometimes wonder if this is marketing test, right? If they're wondering, like, what is the limit we could get people like the Velo <laughs> to spend on cycling gear? So, hey, this is a $20 jacket. <laughs> put a ridiculous price on it and give it marketing spiel. Who's going to buy it? How many of these are we going to sell? Because we realize this is not the only product we have criticized for price, right? There are other equally ridiculous things that were like who is going to mm-hmm. buy this and i said i think it's a test i think they just want to see where where are the lunatic boundaries and then if, if they sell to the jackets they realize well we didn't find that point yet <laughs> i guess but <laughs> i mean we did notice during the pandemic that prices across the industry skyrocketed to like abnormal levels i mean i'll tell you the velo chumps that remain in illinois all of us are riding specialized bikes Chad was the holdout, and that's why we had to get him. We had to get his wife to move him to Ohio because he was riding a Shrek. But the rest of us are riding specialized bikes. But in all seriousness, specialized seems like they've been 
kind of go in the wrong direction, at least for me in the past few years, especially since the pandemic. The prices are astronomically stupid. The well, business model is going a different say. direction. Yeah. I was just going to say that about this jacket. So, mm-hmm. like, I mean, who knows what the next six, nine, 12 months, whatever, have in store for us. But, like, it seems as though the bike industry is struggling. Some of us have some, like, industry insider mm-hmm. friends. And, like, we know people are struggling. And um, so, like, you, like, I remember when the Hummer came out. Like, it was right on the ver- or on the back heels or whatever of... Mm-hmm. Um, the whole like Gulf war situation where like gas was $18 a gallon. And here we have this Hummer that's got three miles to the gallon and it was just like poor timing, poor execution. So like same thing with this jacket. So we're like headed into spring and the bike industry is struggling. And like, according to like experts, supposedly we're headed into a recession. Here's a jacket, $530. Who wants it? Mm-hmm. Well, none of us, I suppose. No. And of course, we're picking out three items on this podcast that we found ridiculous. And of course, there's other things that we're probably going to buy. But I can tell you that I just purchased a new frame that's a little bit of a more racy gravel frame. It was not a specialized because I think specialized is going the wrong direction. I think I have pretty much 99% Rafa kit. This jacket is not convincing me I should continue down that road. <laughs> well, here, I'm going to I'm going to play the the opposite here. Now, I it's a big spend for a jacket that doesn't do much. It's just a shell. It's not an insulated jacket. You can go to Patagonia North Face and buy a fancy high-end parka for probably similar cost that has insulation that you don't have to wear base layers down to 0 degrees. You can wear it snowboarding. But if you look in the the ski and the snowboard world, these ultra waterproof, windproof jackets with zero insulation are commonly anywhere from $300 to $700 for Burton and 686 and all these different brands. So their price point probably isn't horrible, but But those jackets offer something that this jacket doesn't. Right. And, and I was going to say, there's there's tons of alternatives out there for the cycling world that are that are accomplishing the same thing. And now they're putting the they're marketing it towards the gravel people as well. And it is ugly as heck. So. Yeah. But I guess, Mike, the question I would have specifically for you, and then I also come back to Chad, is you have told me lately that you are ready to move on from Rafa. I am, but it's not necessarily for lack of quality. No. Um, but I am considering it you know in the next few months when i start buying kit once the weather breaks here i'm gonna try Mm -hmm. some santini kits and see how that how they fit so so my question is rafa releasing this 530 dollars jacket does that make you more or less likely to reconsider your sort of leaning towards trying other kits going into this 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 season neither uh all right it doesn't affect me because in the end, I know that, you know, Rafa is still, uh, they have a high cost of entry. A lot of their stuff is higher end or they're selling it for higher end costs. So 
if all of a sudden they weren't offering their sales that they seem to do on a on a seasonal basis and if they started eliminating some of their lower end core stuff which i think is pretty darn good mm-hmm. then i would i would really be jumping ship in a, a much faster manner okay and then chad the hard- I, I know chad had something to say about this just a second ago the fact that did they leave all the vowels in the name? I mean, that's is it the explore <laughs> jacket? I mean, I won't know if it's for gravel if they left all the vowels in the name. That's but, true. But yeah, I, I I also would agree with Mike on that. I I think the core line was a great gateway into Rafa. And to be honest, I don't think the quality of Rafa clothing is any different than any other high end maker of cycling clothing. I think it's relatively the same. I tell you what I did like about Rafa living in the Chicagoland area was a, I did like the clubhouse downtown. Mm-hmm. I did like the immediate availability that I could go look at the stuff, but also moving back to Northeast Ohio where we don't have a clubhouse. I would say their customer support is fantastic. And probably yep. one of the few reasons I would pay uh, the up price for their clothing. They made it very easy to deal with. Now, then again, that's buy something, send it back. We all realize that's not free. So I don't mm-hmm. know if, if core was a great gateway to get people into buying Rafa, but is it still, is it, is it a loss leader for them? I don't know. I don't know if they're making money on that stuff and maybe they need to go away from it. But I will tell you, I started out with core kit and I've now moved up. What is it? The classic and the brevet and the protein. You start yep. getting into some really expensive stuff really quick. <laughs> Clearly they have made their money back on me. Are you at, are you at pro training or are you at the, the next level pro? I think with the more beer I consume i have to go back to the classic <laughs> line from the pro line unfortunately because their fits are a little different here, yeah but, i feel know. like pro training is a really nice sweet spot i have tons of core stuff i love the core stuff uh but pro, pro training is like the sweet spot of i think value but to mike's point i think the other because i've looked at other brands as well but they're like all comparable in price so it's not like rafa's worse or better financially or whatever but while I have never, I'm not an RCC member and I have not ever been to the clubhouse, I do like the fact that there is one in my city. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm a little partial to that. So, like, if I wanted to go to a group ride or if I wanted to go to the shop and try some stuff on, I like that it's there. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I do appreciate the clubhouse and the RCC. I've been all over the world and rented bikes and been welcomed in the clubhouse, to be honest, in Europe and LA and New York. And, um, it's definitely got, they, they've got a good thing going on there. And, but I think what's interesting is a lot of us are talking about where does Rafa come across as a good value? Because I think even us, the core market for Rafa that Chad just mentioned, even us, we're looking for some value to what we're spending our money on, whether it's the bike, whether it's the kit, whether it's the accessories, whether it's the um, bar tape sock slash thing, whatever. I mean, we're looking for some value for our money. And I, personally, I feel like it might be what Chad's saying. They're testing us now because the financial waters might not be as great as they were at the beginning of the pandemic when everybody was buying bikes. And they're saying, you know, we need to protect those, you know, quarterly earnings. Let's see if these people will pay more. And I don't know. At some point, they we're not. We're not going to pay more. And at some point, the bike industry is going to either figure that out or go too far over the other line. And it's going to hurt them. To go back to something you previously said, like, so like back to our introductory statement here, like we are not professionals. We have Mm full-time jobs and families and, but we ride seriously and we take it seriously. And we all put in some serious miles. Like I think 
we all had over 7,000 miles last year. Some of us 8,000. And so like we go through stuff, right? So like Mm -hmm. quality matters and like I wouldn't spend the money that I spend on kit if it didn't hold up for, you know, 7,000 miles of riding or whatever a year. For sure. Look, look, here's the ultimate question that we need answered by Chad is, would you rather be caught in the new Explore jacket or with the neoprene bar condom on your bike? <laughs> bar condom. That's, that's I guess, great. I guess one of them is significantly less of a financial heartburn mistake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those true. bar condoms were like fourteen ninety five or yep. something. Right. I mean, that that is not a, a bad cost to experiment with. It's not. Of course, I don't spend a lot of time in the drops on my gravel bike anyways, but... You never know if you have some nice uh, big diameter on those things. You might love it. I, I need to go back to Poli's statement about buying a new gravel bike because I feel like in the bike world, everyone's always in like, I don't know what the right word is. We're always getting new parts and bikes and kit and whatever. But I would argue that Eric of all of us had probably like the lowest end gravel bike, but is argue like he is the most physically fit and capable of all of us. And so he was well overdue for a gravel bike because <laughs> he had like a, a more comfort focused aluminum gravel bike. And this, this guy has Watts for days. Like you deserved a new gravel. Oh, frame. thanks. I appreciate that, Ryan. But it's interesting. I didn't buy the specialized. I bought the $500 cheaper Cervelo. It didn't. Which work. paint job? It didn't is. have the specialized in stock either. So let's let's admit that it's, right? it is in stock now. So <laughs> yeah. I could have waited, but it's but the it's paint job yeah. on that Cervelo is amazing. Yeah, but that was just because that's that's what they had in my size. But in any case, you know, I guess my point for me anyway, my personal take on some of this stuff that's going on is that I feel like, for good or bad, whether it was for the right reasons or not. I had brand loyalty to Specialized because I really liked their bikes. I was happy with riding their bikes. I had brand loyalty to Rafa. I still do because their pad fits me perfectly and it's very comfortable and that's important. But I like their stuff. And to Ryan's point, it held up very well. But the way things are going, particularly with Specialized, the way things are going, I'm just not sure that that's that they're going to maintain this brand loyalty with some of the business decisions they're making. And I mean... I'm not saying they should be catering to me, but I would argue there's probably a lot of people like me or like us out there. Well, I would say too, like whatever we're, according to the Strava year-end data, we're in the top 1% or whatever of Strava users. And I would say it seems a little unique based upon where we live, but most of us are doing well financially. But the majority of people can't afford the specialized stuff. Like that's oh, I know, not they're anymore. Probably, they're not probably anymore. doing the Klarna or whatever. You know, like they're making payments or financing these bikes. Whereas, like you used to be able to walk in, and Chad has said this a million times. Like you used to be able to walk in and buy a fully carbon Ultegra bike for like three thousand dollars, and now that same bike is eight thousand dollars. Yep, it's crazy. <clears throat> so you, you going back to the the cost of Rafa. And yeah, I haven't thought strongly about going to other kits based on the cost of their stuff, but all it takes is the simple question from you, Eric, and this is going to happen in the real world is somebody's going to be out and about and the 
question or the comment will come up about cost and a short reflection, you know, they'll immediately realize how bad it has become. Um, I haven't bought Rafa stuff in a long time. And the reason being is it's not exactly like going out to Kohl's and picking up your, mm-hmm. uh, a button up shirt. It's, it's something that you have to think about. It's something that is coming out of a budget. Um, so yeah, the simple, the simple question and then doing a, a simple Google search or Reddit search for the, the latest brands of, of what people are wearing and what people are recommending. There are hundreds of alternatives out there mm-hmm. as far as, as far as jerseys and bibs and everything goes. So it's, it's, a uh, you know, they're on a, I don't know what you want to call it, a slippery slope, mm-hmm. so to speak of, um, you know, they're pushing the edge and, you know, they might find it sooner yep. than later. Exactly. Yeah, I have some affordable off brand stuff that I wear on the trainer and you know what the trainer is like, you know, like you're not getting out of the saddle. You're not stopping at stop lights. You're like, your butt is planted the whole time. And like the bibs aren't bad. Yep. Well, guys, we just did spend 10 minutes or something talking about this jacket. So maybe that was the point of the $530. Maybe it's maybe. very possible, Chad. <laughs> maybe nobody is buying this jacket, but they did what they needed to. With it. That's very possible. So Chad, I'm a, I'm going to leave you with the last word here until we get to the final segment of our pod here. Cause it's, we're running kind of long for the first episode. And, uh, I don't even know if this is going to work. We've never done a post-production yet once, so we'll see. But, uh, you got anything last words on this, this topic, Chad? I think we're going to revisit this topic. Yet again. <laughs> comes the thing. So we'll just leave it there. More to come. I have, I have a comment on brand loyalty for a second. So like, there's also outside influences. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like through the pandemic, we lived primarily in a virtual world. But like, like the three of us that still live in the Chicago area recently have part of our um, motivation or whatever gravity pulling us away from Specialized has been our local shop that was for the longest time amazing and like really good reputation and the best stock and the best parts and whatever all of a sudden like stopped caring and having good customer service and going above and beyond and like so now we're going to a not specialized shop and so like there's outside influences besides just what you see in the virtual world it's all chad's master plan to somehow get us all on treks I'm not, I'm not sure that's any different than special. Yeah. Just give them a year. They'll raise their prices. <laughs> exactly. Too, right? So, all right, guys. Well, we are yeah. going to wrap it up with our hopefully to be always ending segment of our show, the Mike Green Cycling Factoid. So I just want to clarify something on our rides. Mike Green is the king of factoids. And it's important to understand that Mike Green's factoids are not always true, but right. they're always interesting. That is 100% so, the case. <clears throat> this one, this one, uh, you know, I was, I was talking to my friend in the industry today who, who's in Taiwan. Okay. And he, he told me that 87% of all stems ever made are unused in people's garages. That is fantastic. Yeah. I believe that one. <laughs> yeah. And which coincidentally, that means 87% of all stems are either too short or too long. So, well, well, the, <laughs> The industry's changing all that because they're going to 100% uh, 
one piece bar stems for all bikes now so there won't be any four stems <laughs> it's going to be a hundred percent but st- uh chad will never give up his two pieces yeah though. for yeah. sure we should take a we should take a poll like, I, i'm pretty sure i have at least five extra stems yeah, downstairs see? i probably have more extra stems than i have bikes that's that's also true so i, I believe that one like and, and chad has 47 stems we it's yeah. fine we already know yeah I, I know you made that up but i believe it <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks all right, guys. guys have a good night well, good time we'll, we'll we'll hopefully hopefully we'll do this again <laughs> all right guys all right signing off yeah. talk to you later hey have you even been listening to what i've been saying i've been talking to you for the last 10 minutes